the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us for tonight's broadcast. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who is Jesus, or what does it mean to be saved? How about questions like, what is eternity? Or is there really a God, and where is he when I'm truly suffering? These are just some of the topics we explore every weeknight at this time. Over the next 30 minutes, you are going to hear a small taste of what Pastor Dudley Rutherford's teaching ministry is all about. Let's join Dudley right now as he begins his message for us tonight. I want to take you back to the beginning of this year where we introduced the theme for the year, which is, uh, we have a theme every year, and the, the theme for the year was a decade of destiny, and what we were doing is we were setting up the next 10 years. It wasn't just a theme for one year. It's really a 10-year window that we were looking at. This year was to prepare us for these 10 years. And kind of like a 10-round heavyweight prize fight, round number one, year one, we've been knocked down a couple times, right? But there's still nine more years after this year for the decade. And I know that at the, at the end of that decade, ultimately, we will be victorious. Amen? Now, in preparing our church for the next decade, somewhere in this year, I wanted to preach through this book called Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament. Several reasons for that. First of all, Nehemiah is a history book. And I, I just love uh, to read and to study history. There's just something about it. And I like to study the good and the bad. Uh, I, I think that we learn more when we look at everything that's happened in our past. Also, this series uh, was the very, this book, when I came here to Los Angeles over three decades ago, this was back in the old Hillcrest days. A few of you were here back in those days. The very first book that I preached through was the book of Nehemiah. And so as I came to this next decade, thinking it might be my last decade as a pastor here, uh, I thought, I want to go through that book again. Because that, that book set our church up for those last three decades. Let's look at it one more time as we look at these next 10 years. The third reason I want to go through this book is that it's a, it has tremendous uh, value and principles on leadership, and if you're here today and you lead a company, a business, you lead your household, you lead a ministry here at the church, if you're involved in any kind of leadership position, this book, this study is going to help your leadership and your leadership skills. The last reason I want to go through this uh, book uh, is because this story is a story of what to do when your world is falling apart. And you'll be amazed by how many things as we go through this book 
that applies to what's going on right here and right now. And I believe that as we worked and planned on the next 10 years, I think God knew that this first year was going to be a tough year. And so this book will help navigate through these difficult times. So with that in mind, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1. I want to take you back, all the way back to the year, write this down in your notes, to the year 586 B.C. This is like 600 years before Christ. And so this is 2,600 years ago. And if I could just lift you out of the seat that you're sitting in and place you back in Nehemiah's day, you would be surprised that at that time they were having political turmoil. They had religious and racial divisions. They had economic issues. You would be shocked to know that the same things we're dealing with today, they were dealing with 2,600 years ago. Now, here's what happened. The Babylonians, under the great King Nebuchadnezzar, traveled to Jerusalem, and the Babylonians captured Jerusalem. They destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple where the people worshiped. They conquered the Jews, carried them a 1,000 miles across the hot desert sands, and there the Jews were held in captivity. And the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, they came all the way across, came to Jerusalem, destroyed it, destroyed the temple, uh, captured all the people, went across, took all the Jews back across. This is all desert. This is a thousand miles of desert. You wouldn't last 10 miles in that desert. Took them all, took the Jews all the way across. And for many, many years, the Jews were held in captivity in Babylon. After about 50 years, so an entire generation died off, an entire generation was born, Persia captured Babylon, and they had a king named King Cyrus. They called him, they called him Cyrus the Great, that, at least that's what he told people to call him. And so for 50 years, the Jews were underneath the thumb of the Babylonians, and now they're underneath the thumb of the Persians under King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus was an unusually kind and humane ruler. In his first year of reign, he issues a decree, and he allows some Jews to go back all the way to their home to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild their city and rebuild their temple. Now, a long story made short, but King Cyrus of Persia, uh, there were several kings that came and left. And by the time you get to the book of Nehemiah, the king of Persia, his name is King Artaxerxes. Now, King Artaxerxes is a hard name to pronounce, it's an even more difficult name to spell. But I want you to write this down, the year 455 B.C. 455 B.C., during the era of King Artaxerxes, Jews have been living over here in Babylon, Persia, 
for 130 years is when Nehemiah comes into the scene. Nehemiah is a Jew that was born in exile, never been to Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man born in exile, technically a Jewish slave. But just like some other Jews that had gone before him, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Mordecai and Esther, while he's Jewish, while he's in captivity, Nehemiah, as a slave, he rose to a position of influence in the midst of a foreign land. And if you look at the very last line of chapter 1, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, which we'll talk about that later. One day, something occurs that will change Nehemiah's life forever. He asks a question. One day, he met a group of Persian Jews who had just returned from a trip from Jerusalem. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, suggests that Nehemiah was strolling outside the palace of Artaxerxes one evening when some travel-weary men passed him on the way into the city and conversing together in the Hebrew language, forgetting all about Artaxerxes' supper, Nehemiah eagerly inquired about the plight of his fellow countrymen and about Jerusalem itself. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1, the first two verses. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, everybody say Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men. I, Nehemiah, questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and I also asked about Jerusalem. He had several concerns. Write this down. His first concern was with the people, the Jewish remnant. Now, God has always had a remnant. You can read about the remnant in the book of Kings. You can read about the remnant in the book of Isaiah. You can actually read about the remnant in the book of Romans. But think about over all the centuries that have come and gone, the Jewish people have been the most persecuted people on the face of this earth. Kingdoms and kings have tried to wipe the Jewish people off the face of the earth. But even though many have tried to get rid of the Jewish people, God has always made sure that there was a Jewish remnant. So even when the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and completely destroyed the city and took many of the Jews, if not all of them, back to Babylon, God made sure that there was a remnant that was still there. So when Nehemiah is out in front of the palace and he sees Hanani, who just came from Jerusalem... The very first thing that he asked is, tell me about the people that are there. The second thing that he asked was about the place itself. Don't just tell me about the people. Tell me about Jerusalem. What is the city like? And one day when this COVID-19 thing is over, we'll put together another trip to Israel. And I hope that you can go with me and see the most beautiful city in the world, the city of Jerusalem. (laughs) Nehemiah inquires about the people. He inquires about Jerusalem itself. 
And here's how Hanani answers his question. Look at verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile, the Jewish remnant, they are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. He says they're discouraged, they're disgraced, the people are not good. And as for the second part of your question, he says, the wall, as far as the place, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. He says the city is in ruins. It's a mess. The gates are burned. There's no defense for the people. Overall, Hanani says, it's just bad. Everything is bad. He says the people are broken and the walls are broken. I don't know about you, but if someone came to me right now and said, hey, Dudley, how are things going there in the United States of America? I would say the same thing. You want to know how things are going around here? People are broken. People are discouraged. Our cities are a mess. That's exactly what Hanani tells Nehemiah. Nehemiah is concerned about the people and the place, but when he hears the truth about the brokenness of the people and he hears about the brokenness of the city, we then see Nehemiah's reaction, which is my second point. We call this the emotions of his heart. And look what the Bible says in verse 4. Nehemiah said, when I heard these things about the people in the place, he said, I sat down and I what? I wept. Not for a couple of hours, but for days. I wept. I mourned. I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Oh, I want you to write these four expressive responses down. I want you to write, I want you to see when Nehemiah hears about the people and their brokenness and their discouragement and he hears about the walls that have been, that are still not rebuilt, that he weeps, that he mourns, that he fasts and he prays. When he hears that report, that is the response of his heart. Now the question is, why did he respond with such emotion? Well, the answer is quite easy. These were his people. And even though uh, he has been in exile and the Babylonians destroyed Israel 130 years ago, and even though he's never even been to Jerusalem, these were his people. These were his countrymen. And Jerusalem was their home. Most of us, from time to time, we will pray for people. In fact, that's what we pray about. We pray for people. But very rarely do any of us pray about a place. But we ought to. You know, this place right here, this church right here, I believe that this church is a special place. I know that it's brick and mortar. Mostly concrete, I get that. It's basically a big box. I mean, look at it, just a big box. But it's different than the big boxes across the street. You see, this place, this land was dedicated, this building was dedicated, this facility was dedicated to the glory and honor of God. 
any place. It could be your house. It could be the, uh, the office where you work. It could be uh, a church. Uh, but any place that is dedicated to the honor and glory of God, where people gather to worship, where lives are changed, where the Bible is preached, where Jesus is lifted high, where souls are saved and prayers are prayed, those, that is a holy place. And I believe that God is very concerned about this place. And so should we. I am not the governor of California. I am not the mayor of Los Angeles. But those two gentlemen have zero clue to what this place means to us. They have no clue. No clue. They have, they have zero clue to what this place means to Almighty God. They dictate. They just decide on their opinion on what is essential and what is not essential for the people of Los Angeles. And in every single entity that they in their opinion, deem as essential, those businesses are open. And everything in their opinion that they deem it not essential is closed. So in their mind, in those two guys' minds, liquor stores are essential. So today, every liquor store in this city is open. You walk in and out there all day long if you want. In their minds, abortion clinics are essential, so abortion clinics are open. In their minds, they have deemed that casinos are essential, so today casinos are open. Nordstrom's Rack must be essential because it's open. Starbucks must be essential because it's open. But the church, they've deemed non-essential, therefore they've closed them. And what, what personally bothers me is not that those two elected officials deem the church as non-essential. That doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that there are so many believers that have accepted that decision that the church is non-essential. That's what bothers me. Nehemiah, he hears of the trouble of his countrymen. He hears of the struggles that they were facing. And when he thinks of the magnificent temple of the living God that is laying in ruins and that the city of David has been destroyed and that the walls and the gates are still laying in waste, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. You see, for Nehemiah and for thousands of Jews, hundreds of thousands of Jews that live around the world back then and even today, Jerusalem is clearly the most important place in the entire world. Now you say, well, why why is that? Well, it was their homeland. There there are many reasons for this, but they, uh, even today, if you go over there, you will see it. It it is. It's, It's like no other place in the world. And it began with 
the scriptures that the Jewish people had memorized the book of Psalms. Now, uh, I can't even get you to read the book of Psalms. But they had memorized the book of Psalms. And just read through them and you can see how much Jerusalem mattered to the Jewish people, especially after it was destroyed and they were carried off into captivity. They couldn't help think about their homeland. Psalm chapter 76, here's a few examples. Psalm chapter 76, they had this memorized. This was in their heart. It said in Judah, in, in Judah, in Israel, God is known. His name is great in Israel. Not so much in Babylon, but great in Israel. His tent is in Salam, Jerusalem. His dwelling place is in Jerusalem. They believe that that's where God lived. That's where the temple was. And even though the temple had been destroyed, they, they believed that that, that that building represented the presence of God to them. Psalm 122, another psalm, reads, Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. Verse 4, that is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statue given to Israel. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem that those who love you may be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. These psalms, these verses, these words were ingrained into the heart and mind of Nehemiah and every other Jew that was living in exile. I'll show you one more psalm. Are you ready? Psalm 137, verses 1 through 6. The Bible reads, look at these words. By the rivers of Babylon... We sat and we wept when we thought back to Zion, which is Jerusalem. We were so discouraged, verse 2, that there on the poplars, those are trees, we hung our harps. Now, why would they hang their harps up on the trees? Because they weren't needed anymore. They didn't feel like singing anymore. Because they were slaves. They, they were in captivity. They were in Babylon. Verse 3, for there in Babylon, our captors, they, they asked us for songs. Our, our tormentors demanded that we sing songs of joy. They said to us, hey, sing us one of those songs that you used to sing when you were back in Jerusalem before we destroyed your temple. Verse 4, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we live in this foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill, and may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. We hope the message you just heard tonight from Pastor Dudley has been a blessing to you. Isaiah 55:11 reminds us that the preaching of God's word never returns void. We want you to know we have phone counselors standing by if you are in need of prayer. Our number is simple to dial. It's 888-818-4777. Again, our phone number is 888-818-4777. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, be sure to visit our website, liftupjesus.com. Deep in the heart of every believer, there's a faint whisper, a call, a prompting. We go about our business and we hear it. We see and interact with lost people every day, and the whisper echoes again for us to share our faith 
and tell others about Jesus. And yet, we still resist. In his latest book, Compelled, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shares his earnest desire for each and every believer to be equipped with the good news of salvation. He encourages you with inspiring stories of men and women, young and old, who have accepted the irresistible call to share Jesus with everyone they meet. And he provides practical methods to overcome your fears and effectively articulate the message of salvation. Thousands of readers have already taken advantage of this incredible book, and now it's here for you. Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith, can be yours right now for a gift of $15 or more to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as easy as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get Compelled, the irresistible call to share your faith on our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover for yourself the strength that awaits inside you to speak boldly to others of how Jesus Christ has changed your life forever. Don't hesitate. Call us right now and get your copy of Pastor Dudley's latest book, Compelled, The Irresistible Call to Share Your Faith, today. I'm Kyle Welch, hoping you'll join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.